Hey, good morning, West Bowles. Uh, thank you for joining us in person, those of you joining us online as well. If we have not met, my name's Nathan. I get to be the pastor here uh, at West Bowles, and I love getting to say that. Uh, it's, it's a privilege. So these last few weeks, if you, haven't, if you haven't gotten to join us, we've been talking about really this idea that there's just no ideal time for Christmas, is there? I mean, if you were to be able to look at your schedule and you're to be able to look at your life, and you're able to look uh, just look around at everything going on in life, there's really not a perfect time for Christmas, is there? I mean, it just shows up at, at kind of this, uh, it's not always convenient, is it? And In fact, if you remember an ideal Christmas, what was probably going on is you were either too young or maybe not aware of all the stuff going on in the background, and be thankful for that. But one of the things we're talking about is that Christmas... The arrival of Jesus in our lives, in Advent, that word you've heard the last few weeks, it actually takes place in the middle of some pain points for us, in those things that are not so ideal. In fact, if you were to look across time, and as you were to look across Scripture at all that God has been doing, and he's been repeating himself over and over, long before he said, unto you a Savior is born to some shepherds when Jesus was born, He was saying it in the midst of all the human situations and the human condition and everything. I mean, we we looked at Genesis, right? And in the middle of of Adam and Eve being told, because of this original sin, you are going to carry pain and you are going to carry burden and you are going to toil and it's going to happen in the midst of all that. In the middle of it, God pointed them to the seed of a woman. He said, there's going to be a deliverer. There's going to be a redeemer. And we landed on this idea a few weeks ago that God, with Christmas, you know what? He's not done with you. He says, it's unto you a Savior is born. Not done with you. But a lot of times we get that mixed up. And then last week we looked at an episode from King David's life. You know, David was big on his plans, and and that's one of those things that we don't dare mess with this time of year, right? Don't mess with the Christmas plans. And as David was making his plans, God showed up in the middle of it, and he said, no, no, no. I've got a greater plan. In fact, I've got a greater plan for you, David, than you have for me. And, And we arrived at another idea last week, that God is working unto you, into you. That is that arrival of Jesus in our lives. It will affect the way you carry yourself, King David, and all of us. Well, today, I gave you some homework last week. Today, we're going to talk about that thing that shows up around Christmas, sometimes because of Christmas. And, and I gave you some homework. I said, I need you to go find an enemy, okay? Invite them to church. You don't have to sit with them. I mean, if you want to point at them right now, you can. I wouldn't recommend it. But I, what we're talking about today is this idea of conflict, Because not only did Christmas show up in the middle of pain and burden, and not only has Christmas shown up in the middle of disrupted plans, but it shows up in the middle of conflict. And if if you've ever dealt with conflict at Christmas, you know the potential it has to ruin not just that year's Christmas, but so many years after that. In fact, the greatest fight I have ever been in in my life I've had a few, okay? But the greatest fight I've ever been in actually took place on Christmas Eve one year, okay? It was with none other than my sister, Kyla. Many of you know her. And I mean, I can only describe it as epic battle, okay? It was, it was phenomenal. And 
I hope she's not here this morning because I'm going to tell it in the way it actually happened, okay? So <laughs> we got to my parents' house. Keep in mind, we were not 12 and 7, okay? This is, it's kind of like the car ride to Nebraska I told you about a while back. We were in our 20s, okay? And showed up at my parents' house on Christmas Eve. That's just a, a tradition that we have. We'll go there on Christmas Eve. And this is how all fights go, right? If you were to ask me, what was that fight about? I have no idea. I just know I won, okay? And so what happened was like some, some kind of comment turned into an insult. And then an insult turned into like a more biting remark. And then that biting remark turned into a little bit of a push. And a push became a shove. And soon we were wrestling on the couch. Now here's the crazy thing about all of it. I remember my mom's voice in the background saying to my dad, David, do something about this. And, and my dad, I mean, I'm taking cues from this. He's like, I think they can work it out. And we're just, I mean, like crashing into things. It's Christmas Eve. We're adults in our 20s and just flying into everything. And I, I'm pretty sure he had a video camera out, actually. Um, so if I get that footage, you, you might get to see it, unless I lost. Then uh, that won't be shown. But this is what Christmas shows up in the middle of. In fact, I, I don't know everybody in here really, really, really well, but I, I think I know just our human condition well enough to know that none of us in here aims for conflict at Christmas. We probably work very hard to avoid conflict, especially at Christmas. But as we look today at possibly one of the most well-known Christmas prophecies, and by prophecy I mean that thing that God said in advance— I'm sending a Savior unto you will be born, a Savior. When you look at one of the most well-known one of those, you see in Isaiah chapter 7 through 9, what you see is God actually saying something completely different. He's flipping it all on its head for us. He says, you know what? Instead of avoiding conflict at Christmas, I'm going to bring Christmas into your conflict. And conflict doesn't have to ruin Christmas. In fact, I hope that Christmas can ruin your conflicts. And so today we're going to be in Isaiah chapters 7 through 9. Those of you that, are, that like study this stuff, just hear this. You can get about 27 sermons out of those, those few chapters, okay? We're going to do a flyover this morning, okay? So, um, so we're not going to hit every single verse, but there, there's something in here for us. In fact, there's a handful of insights. If you grab sermon notes on the way in, we'll, we'll walk through those. But there are a handful of insights that I hope, if nothing else, will just open our eyes a little bit. Especially as we go into this next week that, yes, we've known pain. Yes, we've known broken plans. Yes, we've known conflict. And in the midst of all of it, God says, unto you, in that place, I want you to look for that Savior. So we're in Isaiah chapter 7. And here's the deal. Judah, so you got a northern kingdom of Israel and a southern kingdom of Judah. Judah has a king named named Ahaz, okay? And what you need to know about Ahaz is what we learn it in the first couple verses of Isaiah 7. When Ahaz, son of Jotham, the son of Uzziah, was king of Judah, King Rezin of Aram and Pekah, son of Ramalia, okay, you just got to get through the first sentence, right? All these names. King of Israel marched up to fight against Jerusalem, but they could not overpower it. So you got two kings, of other places outside of Ahaz that have basically formed an alliance. 
In Isaiah, we get Isaiah's point of view. You can read about this in, um, in 2 Kings as well as 2 Chronicles. Basically, in those places, it says they went up and they besieged King Ahaz. They besieged him. In other words, they're trying to force him into an alliance with them against the Assyrians who were just marching across just the, the entire countryside. They're taking over everything. And so these kings are thinking, well, let's get Ahaz. Let's force him into cooperating with us. And if he doesn't, we're going to destroy him. Well, verse 2. Now the house of David was told, that's Ahaz. Now the house of David was told, Aram has allied itself with Ephraim. So the hearts of Ahaz and his people were shaken, as the trees of the forest are shaken by the wind. Now, that's some ancient kings. Is this not still true today? I mean, when you hear somebody's like coming at you, you know, maybe you don't describe it as they're going to besiege you, but you think they're just after you. When you hear people have made an alliance against you, you understand how Ahaz feels. We all do. His heart was shaken. And what it actually reveals for us, the conflict around us, actually reveals whether there's conflict within us, as we're about to see from King Ahaz. Now, What's going to happen here is God is going to send Isaiah to Ahaz, his prophet. He's going to say, look, in the middle of this conflict, I'm going to speak some things to you. And he starts out with giving Ahaz his point of view. In fact, we'll come back to it in a minute. But in the verses that follow, God says this. He says, don't lose heart because of these two smoldering stubs of firewood. Smoldering stubs of firewood. What if, just, just get the face in mind right now. I mean, if, you, if you've got conflict in your life right now, or maybe it's long-standing conflict, have you ever thought of them as a smoldering stub of firewood? Try that insult this week. I, I'd love to hear how it goes, okay? Yeah, we don't think of them like that. See, a lot of times they're a lot bigger in our minds, aren't they? Well, he goes on. God continues to give his point of view. Verse 7 of chapter 7. Yet this is what the sovereign Lord says, Ahaz. It will not take place. It will not happen. For the head of Aram is Damascus, and the head of Damascus is only resin. Within 65 years, Ephraim will be too shattered to be a people. In other words, Ahaz, you're looking at this timeline that is this big in the eyes of God. Yeah, this conflict feels big, but they won't even be kings. They won't even be around. They won't even be a people in the very near future. He goes on. The head of Ephraim is Samaria, and the head of Samaria is only, notice that word, only, Ramalia's son. If you do not stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all. See, it's, though God, it's as though God is saying, Ahaz, I need you to pause I know you want to run down the road. I know you're figuring out how you're going to retaliate. I know what you're figuring out how you're going to talk back to them, how you're going to respond to them, how you're going to get leverage over them, how you're going to overpower them. But I need you to stop. And I need you to see these kings, these enemies in light of how I see things, not how you see things. And there's a principle here. It's that first insight in your sermon notes if you have those. The higher you look, the farther you see. The higher you look, the farther you see. God's saying Ahaz, or Nathan, or, or Wes Bowles, 
wherever that conflict exists, I want you to get your eyes on me. I want you to look at it through the lens of how I see things, not how you see things. Right now, uh, our two daughters are, they're babysitting age. And um, there are, I, I mean, they're, they're very agreeable, and they're going to be mad at me for saying this, because if they get bombarded with requests, I'm going to have a problem on my hands. But, um, it, excuse me, they're very agreeable to babysitting, except for two kids, okay? And I'd like to put their names up. No, I'm just kidding. I'm not going to put the names of the kids and their parents. Okay, we're just going to put them up there to warn you. No. There are two kids out there that both of our daughters are just like, I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it. Okay, if you're worried, don't worry. It's not anybody in this church, at least this morning that I can tell. No, it's not anybody in this church. But there will be a request from time to time for, for babysitting these two kids. And it's so funny to listen to our kids' descriptions because you'd think they're describing like a military giant. Okay. And when you pull back, you know, I, I'm, sit here, I'm sitting here listening to this, and I just think, these are, these are little kids. And it's little kids, but it sounds like you're describing an absolute giant. Now, easy for me to say, right? Because I'm, I'm not in their situation. I'm, in fact, if I were to be asked, I wouldn't go babysit them, okay? But this is what we do with conflict. This is why Paul, Paul, centuries later, we read, he says, our battle is not against flesh and blood, but powers and principalities. Paul wasn't just saying that because it was some wise thing Paul had figured out along the way. No, he's pointing back. He's saying everything and everyone and every face and every situation has to be seen through the lens of God. And what what, what God's saying through Isaiah right now is the higher you look, like look above these two kings, Ahaz, if you'll look to me, the farther you'll see, the, the more panoramic your vision will get. And everything will take its right perspective. Now, I want to come back to something that we skipped over because there's something he said at the end there. He said, if you will not stand firm in your faith, notice that, you will not stand at all. Now, that can just feel like some good counsel, like, hey, I just, I'm, I'm going to keep that in my back pocket and some nebulous thing. But when you look at Isaiah's message to Ahaz, there's a, there are some very practical implications that come up because of faith. Come back to verse 3. The Lord said to Isaiah, Go out, you and your son, Shir Jashub, Jashub, to meet Ahaz at the end of the aqueduct of the upper pool on the road to the launderer's field. Say to him, now listen to these four things in succession. Take heed, keep calm, and don't be afraid. Do not lose heart because of these two smoldering stubs of firewood, because of the fierce anger of Rezin and Aram and of the son of Ramalia. Aram, Ephraim, and Ramalia's son have plotted your ruin, saying, let us invade Judah. Let us tear it apart and divide it among ourselves and make the son of Tabil king over it. Did you catch all that? Did you catch the road map? through conflict there. Take heed. Keep calm. Don't be afraid. Don't lose heart. Take heed. Keep calm. Don't be afraid. Don't lose heart. Now, books upon books upon books have been written about those very things, have they not? 
And some authors would say, well, it just takes willpower. Some would say it just takes grit. Some would say, well, you're just wired that way or you're not. And God says, no, no. Those are the actual byproducts of faith in him. That that whole higher you look thing, when you look to him, he says you can actually have some byproducts of that. And the way you go through conflict, the way you see the the situation in front of you, it will actually show up. You'll actually take heed. And, And this is insight number two. Faith, your faith, informs how you fight. And I don't mean like the externals of, you know, like what moves you know and you're a black belt and all that stuff. I mean, your faith informs in here. The way you see everything in front of you. In fact, those four things. Take heed. Keep calm. Don't be afraid. Don't lose heart. You know what those are? Those are New Year's resolutions for the Christian. For those who trust in him. For those whose eyes, eyesight and vision is set on him, those are New Year's resolutions is what they are. Because what it says is it says, okay, I'm going I'm to stop before I react. Okay, I'm going to think about this. I'm going to get quiet inside. I don't mean like a few deep breaths. I mean like because to us a Savior is born, we can be still. We can be quiet. We don't have to be sent on the run by the conflict in front of us. We don't have to be afraid. And we don't have to lose heart. See, I wonder what would happen if that could become the resolution. And it's not something you do that you make happen. No, God says, no, Ahaz, just look to me. If you'll just look to me, you will experience these things as the byproduct. Now, we're about to discover something about this whole process. And it's in verse 10. Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz, ask the Lord your God for a sign, whether in the deepest depths or in the highest heights. In other words, Ahaz, you're not alone. You are not alone. As you look at these two kings that are coming against you, you're not alone in this. God is is committed to being with you. In fact, God is willing to send you a sign. And look at it. He says it can be the most spectacular sign in the heavens, or it can be something so small, so private. So in between you and him. And listen to Ahaz's reply. I mean, that's an offer right there, is it not? And Ahaz says this, I will not ask, I will not put the Lord to the test. Now, if you're familiar with biblical history, this sounds pretty good, doesn't it? You might think back to Deuteronomy chapter 6. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, you've got Moses. He's leading the Israelites. They're in the desert, and they get to this place in the desert where they go, you know what? I'm not going to have faith in him unless he gives us a sign. Unless he gives us water, and you got, so Moses goes, and he hits the rock, and water comes out of it. And surprise, all the Israelites are like, okay, he's real. I'm back. And what what God said in the midst of that is, don't test the Lord. You either believe me or you don't. Don't ask, I I don't want a faith that is is actually a faith in the signs. I want faith in me. Well, Ahaz is quoting this episode. He's saying, well, I know you're not supposed to put the Lord to the test, but he's failing to understand it's in the midst of his unbelief that God shows up and he says, I will go to any extent to gain your faith. Ahaz. I'll go to any extent 
In other words, Ahaz is expressing his own form of unbelief. Now, here's why. There's a detail I haven't given you yet. You know what's been happening this entire time in the background? Ahaz has already made a deal with somebody else. Ahaz had this backdoor, closed-door conversation with the Assyrians. You know what he did? He made a deal with them. He made a deal that he wouldn't come against them, and so he expressed his allegiance to the Assyrians. And in return, at least what they told him was, we won't mess with you, Ahaz. You don't come against us, we won't mess with you. But you're going to have to swear allegiance to us. And not only did Ahaz swear allegiance to the Assyrians that these kings wanted to come against, but he also swore an allegiance to their idols. And then, just to go a little bit further, the temple in Jerusalem, he modified the altar. He had the gold taken off of it. He gave it to the Assyrians. He made a deal, is what he did. Now, I don't know anybody in here that's striking up deals with foreign nations behind our back right now. If so, come talk to your pastor. We might need to deal with that, okay? But I can think of all kinds of us and all kinds of instances in our lives where we've struck a deal with a much larger enemy, haven't we? See, we look at the situation in front of us, and in order to be protected, we make a deal, right? In our heart, we think, well, eye for an eye. I'm just going to go after them the way they came after me, plus one. We get passive-aggressive right? We we do all these things that actually contribute to the conflict because we want to win that conflict from a worldly point of view. It happens all the time. And this is the sad story of Ahaz. God is there. He's offering a sign, and Ahaz has already struck up a deal. Here's the beautiful grace in this story. You think God already knew about that deal? Yeah, he's God. He already knew about the deal. He observed the conversation. He saw all Ahaz had done. And in the middle of it, listen to what comes through Isaiah's mouth, what God sends through Isaiah's mouth. Then Isaiah said, Hear now, you house of David. Is it not enough to try the patience of humans? Will you try the patience of my God also? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Ahaz, if you're not going to ask for a sign, because you're trusting in a, in a greater enemy, I'm going to send you a sign. I mean, Ahaz wanted nothing to do with this. Ahaz had already decided in his heart, and God says, I will still stand here and send you a sign. And look at the sign God chooses. This is the incredible part about Christmas, is of all the things, God didn't put on a fireworks show in the sky. He didn't do like this little inside knowledge thing that only him and Ahaz knew. Instead, he gives this sign. And it's a sign that was not just for Ahaz, but it's for you and for me and for all people forever and ever and ever. He offers this sign in the midst of all our deals with a greater enemy. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son. And we'll call him Emmanuel. And what do we learn later on that Emmanuel means? God with us. Whoa, whoa, God, wait a second. Ahaz, Ahaz, like, he made an allegiance with the Assyrians. I mean, he bowed down and worshipped their idols. He desecrated the altar in the temple. And God says, I know. And I'm still willing. 
Well, well, wait a second. He betrayed. He betrayed you. He betrayed his people. He's betraying the lineage that he's part of. I know. And I'll give him a sign. The virgin will be with son and name him Emmanuel, God with us. Wow, you're saying after all that, God, you say God with us? He says, yeah. And I would say it to you too. After all you've done, after all the agreements you've made in your heart, after all the deals you've struck, after all the, all the going the opposite way of God, he says, I'm still, I'm still willing to offer God with us in the midst of all of it. And that's the third insight from your sermon notes. When we're conflicted, you know what God does? God is always prompting us to look around for his provision. He is always prompting us for him to, for, uh, excuse me. He's always prompting us to look around for his provision. You want to know why? Because that's his character. That's the character of God. There's a lady named Jill Briscoe. She's married to um, a man named Stuart Briscoe, a well-known um, author and pastor. And she tells a story one day about uh, one Friday afternoon, he had said, to Stuart, her husband, had said to their son, their teenage son, hey, Monday, we're going to get an x-ray on you because of some stuff he'd been dealing with. Now, the entire weekend went by. The entire weekend. And the son apparently had misheard what he had said on Friday. So they get to Monday morning, and his dad said to his son, Are you ready? You ready to go? And his son said, yeah, but I've never, I've never gone through an execution before. <laughs> an execution? And as I thought about that, I thought, there it is right there. There's an example of a child who, despite what they perceive, despite what they hear their Heavenly Father say, you know what he said? He said, I'm ready. You want to know why? Because he trusted the character of his Heavenly Father. See, this is what God is constantly inviting us to do. I know the conflict doesn't feel good. I know we get all turned around and and twisted up inside whenever conflict shows up. And God says, I'm inviting you to see my character my loving and faithful character. And so he gave them the sign of all signs, better than any fireworks show in the sky or, or inside, you know, knowledge that you and him have. He says, let me, let me just give you the sign that shows my character. A child, a savior born unto you that means God with us. Now, Ahaz, as the story goes, and unfortunately, still rejected it. And so God had something to say about that. And this is the part that a lot of times we shy away from and we don't like, but God, in response to the rejection of that sign, you know what he said? Verse 17 of chapter 7, the Lord will bring on you and on your people and on the house of your father a time unlike any since Ephraim broke away from Judah. He will bring the king of Assyria And God, through Isaiah, begins to describe what life is going to be like for Ahaz and all the people if he's going to reject this sign. He said, it's going to be terrible. The one that you've trusted in, the thing you've trusted in, you want it, I'm going to let you have it. And you're going to discover just how broken and unfaithful that king, that thing, that dynamic, that situation, 
that face, that place, whatever it is, you're going to discover just how unfaithful it is. And as you finish Isaiah chapter 7, we're reading this description, you go through Isaiah chapter 8, and it's it's though though he turns to Isaiah, and he says, but Isaiah, you and your sons, you are going to be a sign. You're going to walk this earth, and you're going to be a reminder. You're going to be a remnant that I'm going to use to remind people that I am God with us. I'm God with us. And as they're dealing with the consequences of trusting in stuff outside of me, you're going to walk faithfully as a sign. In fact, he says it this way in the middle of chapter 8. The Lord Almighty is the one you're to regard as holy. He is the one you are to fear. He is the one you are to dread. He will be, and look at this phrase, a holy place. For both Israel and Judah, he will be a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. And for the people of Jerusalem, he will be a trap and a snare. Many of them will stumble. They will fall and be broken. They will be snared and captured. See, for the faithful, God with us is a reminder and the assurance of his presence in all things. But for the wicked, God with us is the reminder of all the things they trusted in and outside of him. And this is the fourth insight from your sermon notes. For you and for me, for followers of Jesus, for followers of Jesus, that provision that God gave, that sign, that Savior, is either going to be a sanctuary or a stumbling block. It's just going to happen. A man named Oswald Chambers said it this way. He said, the remarkable thing about fearing God is that when you fear God, you fear nothing else. Whereas if you do not fear God, you fear everything else. Now, you finish Isaiah chapter 8, and you you kind of have this sense of, like you can feel the tension of this fork in the road for Ahaz and for all people. But when you get to Isaiah chapter 9, there's a beautiful, beautiful thing that comes out. First word of Isaiah chapter 9, nevertheless. Nevertheless. I mean, there's good news in that one word right there. Nevertheless. Even though all this is going on, nevertheless, for those who follow him, listen to this. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. Verse 2, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On, on those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. And a handful of verses later, a handful of verses later, we get this incredible, incredible pointing back to the prophecy again in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. For to us, unto us, a child is born. Unto us, a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders. In other words, Ahaz, you don't have to worry about the kings. You don't have to worry about the ones in front of you. You don't don't have to worry about the Assyrians if you'll just look to me. And he doesn't just say it to Ahaz. He says it to every single one of us. The government will be on his shoulders and what would we experience if, he, if we would make him our sanctuary? And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Now, I want to step through this for a minute because you, you've likely heard that passage before, but it just kind of can sound like high-sounding phrases, right? It, it's words we saw in the video before the sermon. But think about it. In the middle of conflict for those who would place their faith in him, look at that list. 
wonderful counselor. Do you want to know how to navigate the conflict right in front of you right now? He says, if you'll look to me, I will be wonderful. I will counsel you through that. Mighty God. That is, you don't think you can bear it any longer. You can't keep doing this. You just can't keep going. No, I will be mighty God in the midst of it. Everlasting Father. Everlasting Father. That is, you're not going to lose sight of me. I always have you in my hands, in my grip. I am present with you constantly, even in the midst of the conflict. And finally, Prince of Peace. That is, when there's conflict in front of you and around you, there doesn't have to be conflict within you. Now, here's the, the really, really incredible thing to me. You go, centuries go by. This child, this Emmanuel, I mean, we all know the story. He's born, and one day he grows into adulthood, and, and I just got caught on the wording here. He's teaching the multitudes one day. It's part of the Sermon on the Mount. You find this in Matthew chapter 7. And he says that thing that many of us grew up with. You know it is the golden rule. Do unto others as you would have done unto you. And as I thought about it, I went, that's just, that's interesting wording. In fact, if you were to go to the Greek and you were to look at the definition, you were to go to the Hebrew and look at the definition of, of this, like, unto you that's showing up, and the Greek unto you in Luke chapter 2, and the unto you in Matthew chapter 7, same thing. Jesus is, you know what he's saying to us? God's unto you is the starting point of your unto others. Whether there's conflict or not, whether there's pain and burden or not, whether your plans have been broken or not, if you will receive God's unto you, it will affect your unto others every single day. And you know what happens? God just plants Christmas right in the middle of conflict and just ruins conflict for us, doesn't he? Well, as the worship team comes back up, let me take you back to that Christmas. So greatest fight, I mean greatest fight I've ever had, okay? So... We kind of made up, you know, we do our hugs because we're supposed to exchange gifts. I, uh, I didn't have time to list all my sister's gifts on eBay that night. And so we're opening gifts, and my parents hand me this present, and I open it, and it's, this, it's like this brown sleeve, and out of it is this small Bible. And I thought, oh, man, like, we just had a fight. Don't bring the Bible into this. What is, this is crazy. I opened it. It was my great-grandmother's Bible. She had lived to be 106 years old, lived over in England. And this Bible, I'm looking at the dates inside. It's from, like, in the 1920s. So by this point, it's now, like, as in today, over 100 years old. And as I look back, I go, it was perfect. In the middle of conflict, what did God do? He said, unto you. In the middle of this, unto you. A Savior is born. And in so doing, reminded me, his unto you is the starting point of your unto others. And we'll actually talk about exactly where that goes next on Christmas Eve. Hope you can join us next Saturday. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, Lord, your word, your word for, for how rich it is, 
and how complex it is, it's also so simple. And Lord, it's right there in front of our face. It's that offer for us to once again, as we we have yet another Christmas, Lord, I pray that this would maybe be a different Christmas. I pray that you would open our eyes to see your word, your offer, your unto you right in front of us. And Lord, may we receive that in a deeper way than we have ever received it. Lord, I know across this sanctuary, there's pain, there's burden, there are plans, whether it's Christmas plans or big life plans that have been totally disrupted. And Lord, there's conflict. I mean, it is all around us. We see it on the news. We see it on social media. We see it in our own personal relationships. But Lord, let us not forget that it was in the midst of all that, not instead of all that, in the midst of all that, you said, unto you. A Savior is born. Let that guide the way we live unto others. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.